This is Manifest Zone, the podcast that explores the breadth and depth of the world of Eberron as a tabletop RPG setting. I'm one of your hosts, Christian Serrano. I'm Keith Baker. I'm Wayne Chang. And I'm Scott Walker. Scott! <laughs> How long has it been? Oh I my mean, god, we have we, a full house. We said something would happen if all four of us showed up on the... Hang on, what's that rumbling noise? It's, it's a coterminous. <laughs> Zoriad is becoming coterminous. That's right. That's right. One of the uh, overlords is becoming unleashed. So I'm trying to, I guess you'd say when, you know, Fernia freezes over. Mm. I was going to try and say when Rija melts, but anyhow. Right. I actually kind of like that. It's pretty cool. All right. So, so welcome, Scott. Welcome back. Well, thank you. Yes. Uh, and in this episode, we walk gingerly around the lab and try not to set off any of the artificer's ongoing experiments as oh, no! we explore. <laughs> yeah, that's it. End of show. Uh, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna explore magic items in Eberron. <laughs> now, this is a topic I think that's come up in several spaces, either online. I know Keith, you've you've been pondering. Uh, you know. We've been talking about it in various spaces as well. Absolutely, and I'm, I'm working on a couple articles that that will get done eventually. But it's it's hey, like magic; it takes a while to discover things. No pressure. You've got a lot to work on outside of that article. Yes, stuff, I so, do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and recently, um, Wayne and I got to be on an episode of Gaming and BS. It was yep. episode 206, where we got to go in and tell Brett that he's wrong about <laughs> about magic Excellent. and Eberron. Uh, and that whole conversation was around um, sort of ubiquitous, low-level, wide magic, not high magic, whereas Brett was originally arguing that it's high magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we went to a lot of definitions that we won't go into here. Go listen to the episode. You'll find out about it there. Link in the show uh, notes. Link in the show notes. And uh, it was really good. It was, I think by the end, well, no spoilers. So go listen to it. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I think we can just go ahead and dive in with, uh, with the topic. And... We're kind of addressing it with a series of questions. Uh, we'll start with some GM perspectives and such. And, you know, I, I think one of the challenges with Eberron is people think, oh, magic items everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're, again, going back to power level, you know, what is the power level of those magic items that are everywhere? Um, and is it really dependent on the system or the setting? So anybody have any opening thoughts on that? Well, one of the things that, you know, struck me at the start when people were saying, how do we uh, make Eberron in fifth edition when uh, we don't have, you know, it's, it's so much lighter on magic items is that again, a lot of what drives Eberron is the idea that they're using magic to solve things we've solved with technology, but that doesn't have to mean it's incredibly powerful. Uh, you know, as we're talking about. And so the idea of saying a plus one sword is suddenly much rarer than it was, you know, in third edition, plus one swords are dime a dozen, you know, and you go all the way up to five. And here we're just trying to say, we want a plus one sword to be significant. That doesn't mean that in Eberron, uh, you can't have magic weapons. It means that the the idea of what defines a magic weapon is is different that at the low simple level, it's simply that it's stainless or it's self-sharpening or it has, again, sort of cosmetic features. But I have no problem with that idea of saying like, oh no, a plus two uh, magic item is really rare. You know, there's, uh, again, to me, it's the whole story versus mechanics. And as long as you're telling the story, you know, the mechanics, can sort of fall in where they need to fall. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think too. Speaking of like third edition versus fifth edition, mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. or even other systems, um, like the dependency on magic items was that was a significant part of third edition, particularly with things like you know damage reduction and such. Like you had to have those things. And I remember specific adventures mm-hmm. where there were scenes where it was dependent on being able to do a certain magical effect. So if you didn't have the spell or you know, or, or the magic item to do that thing, you know, you might've hit like a wall in, in some respects. Um, I get the impression that fifth edition doesn't have that as much, you know, that dependency on magic items. Um, I don't know. And, and maybe Keith or Wayne, you can speak more to that. Wayne, go ahead. I, I mean, it's in the DMG and it's specifically, there's a question that asks, you know, 
um, are magic items necessary in a campaign. And I'm talking specifically for fifth edition, right? Obviously, we know from third edition, you know, if you have a you have magic items that go magic weapons that go from plus one to plus five, and you had damage reduction that went up to plus one to plus five. In fifth edition, um, if you listen to to Jeremy, you've listened to a couple of people talk, um, you know that specifically the game was not designed that characters would require magic items. And sometimes it required a little bit of finagling on the DM's part, but there's a different style of play to fifth edition. So magic items are prizes. They are useful. They modify ways or they help players in ways, but it was never absolutely necessary to have them. Now, if you don't have a spell caster, um, someone who can punch through damage reduction, yeah, you might have a trouble. And it basically just says, you know what? Either be more generous with some magic items or magic weapons, or avoid using those monsters a little bit, unless there's something thematic about it. Well, and and to me, I also think back to fourth edition. And fourth edition was very magic item dependent, and was very sort of just this general sense that you should have a magic item in each slot, and at X level, you should go up a plus. You know that by the time you're tenth level, you should have a plus one uh, attack, defense, you know, etc. Um, and I certainly with fifth edition, it was clearly that idea of wanting a magic item to actually feel interesting as opposed to in fourth where they really are just sort of another set of statistics. Um, but like I said, I think if you just go to the wayfinders guide, it's this whole principle of magic of up to third level is commonplace magic of up to fifth level fourth and fifth is okay we're aware of this this is accessible but it's rare and magic of above fifth level is remarkable and legendary you know that legendary items are legendary and that just because some magic is accessible doesn't mean it all is scott right yeah so i think we 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 do exactly what most gamers do right we immediately go to the mechanics of the dependency. Mm-hmm. But let's be honest, there's a psychology of yep. the dependency on the part of the players, right? Mm-hmm. They want magic items. They want to see the cool, neat, and shiny thing. Yeah. Yeah. And and like Wayne said, you know, there might be monsters you don't want to use depending on the system you're using. But I would also challenge folks to understand like, hey, cool, your character shouldn't just be, and, and this kind of goes against the, the, very, the very bane of how some people play the games, but you shouldn't just say, "Hey, there's X monster, and we can't we we can't do anything about it. We've encountered it because we chose poorly." Have them. That should be the point where the characters are doing. And this is Eberron, right? So right. the research is also ubiquitous. Find out what the monster's weaknesses are. Do the research. Do the lore, and make obtaining those items part of a quest, right? Right. And so you you have those items, and you know on top of that is stop getting stuck in the system of what right. the system tells you you can do. Just make make a magic item. Uh, and we'll get into this on, on what I mean by that. But you, you stop limiting yourself just because, like, oh, the system says only these items can exist. That's that's nonsense. It's your game. I, it's your system. Eberron is such a great world, right? And I remember uh, one of my favorite adventures uh, that I was in that wasn't actually an Eberron adventure, but it almost could have been, was just uh, my character ended at some point getting essentially what amounted to a big bishop's hat. Uh, but that had essentially a small hole of devouring in it. So it was like a garbage disposal. And there was absolutely no, it was too small. You couldn't like throw a monster in it or anything, but I just had this hat that I could throw (laughs) stuff away into. And again, it was back to that no, you know, very limited practical usage, unless you really needed, you know, if we had a bomb, I could toss it in my hat. Uh, But it was just very interesting. It was cool to have this item. Why does it not surprise me that Keith's character got a hat? <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm yeah. just saying out of some sort of weird observation that mm-hmm. his character ended up getting a hat. Uh, strangely, <laughs> I think that adventure predated my existing hat. So maybe, maybe it was the inspiration. That's, that's what drew me to hats. Nice. Strangely, there Very was nice. a time in my life where I did not wear a hat. So I think, um, you know, you, you touched on something there with regards to, um, Scott, you were talking about like, you know, expectations, whether it's of the players or whomever. So I, I think for a GM, it might be important, especially with people who are new to Eberron, at the beginning of a campaign to sort of set the expectations. 
Um, so for people who might be, you know, eager to get like all the magic items, you know, say, you know what, don't worry, trust me, you're going to be okay without having a boatload of magic <laughs> items on your right. character sheet. Um, and I think also it's, it, it is dependent on system. So for example, when I've run it with Savage Worlds, Savage Worlds magic items are extremely, extremely powerful. Like that plus one is huge. And if you have a plus one item, that better be something really important. It better be a named item. Um, and, and, and mostly just because those things go a long way in, in that system. So I think, yeah, I, I think there's something there with regards to saying, Hey guys, you know, this is, you know, just so you understand how magic items work, you're going to get a bunch of like, you know, magic items that are utility, like really limited functional, but you know, the really powerful, like plus one sword or plus two sword, that's going to be much rarer. I don't know, any other thoughts on that or just me? Well, I don't know. <laughs> well, no, it's, it, it's exactly what you said. I mean, and, and Keith kind of brought up this point as well. I mean, in, in third edition D and D, a lot of the interesting magic items that you got <clears throat> were either, I don't want to say useless, but they were not, um, they didn't really help you do anything. They were just kind of cool. They were add on their tack ons to your character. Maybe they had a very situational use and, that was some of the stuff from second edition and first edition. That was really, really fun. When you got to fourth edition, those items were taken completely away because your gold, everything you do did had to sort of keep you up to date and keep you matched up with the rest of the game. Um, and if anybody who's played fourth edition knows that there was, um, there's a level and an attack bonus progression that was actually skewed towards the monster. So that's why you actually needed those bonuses. When you come back to fifth edition, and especially with the release of Xanathars, you have items that have gone back to the, this thing is just funny and useless and I cannot find a, another reason to have it other than the fact that it sits on my head and eats things, you know, mm -hmm. eats things that are smaller than my fist. <laughs> and it, in the beginning, there, there was, you know, that was something I very much missed. I, we're talking just, you know, game editions for a sec. That was something I very much missed from second and third edition. That was something. And when it came back in fifth edition where it was like, you could have... A magic item that basically had no use. It's like a folding boat. You know, you could get a regular boat <laughs> if you really want to. But here was this folding boat that was like, I can't find no particular use for it other than the fact that it folds up into a little box. And that's kind of funny. Well, dungeon portability. Well, I exactly I have to, you need yeah. you need that boat yeah. in there, right? <laughs> so yeah. so another campaign I'm playing in right now, I'm playing a shifter barbarian, and the we started at I think fifth level. The game master let us pick a couple of items. And one of the things I think he just gave me, he said, Well, you could have one of these. Uh, and it's a feather token that's a tree. And so it turns into a tree <laughs> and you can't use it indoors. So you can't be like, oh, I'm breaking things by growing this tree. You can only use it outdoors. But part of it for me is, is since I'm a ranger and a shifter is I just use it like a tent. Like I just always sleep in my tree. <laughs> and, and again, you know, there are conceivably, it can sort of work like a ladder if you need to get up a wall or something. But again, it's just kind of cool. I got a portable tree. That is really cool. Yeah, yeah you know, I remember in Shadows of the Last War, uh, where was it Shadows of the Last War or was it? Uh, well, um, Shadows of the Last War, go ahead. I can tell you. Yeah, anyway. Uh, yeah, you can tell me because, hey, mm -hmm. you wrote it. Um, handy, the Handy Haversack mm -hmm. that you're given, mm -hmm. where, you know, that's typically a 2,000 gold piece item, but it's like, here, you got a Handy Haversack. And at first I was like, what? <laughs> you know, because you're used to like mm -hmm. the sort of wealth by level kind of thing. And but I was like, why not? Well, and like uh, this is just a utility thing. This isn't like a game breaking object. And 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 that's exactly you know? right. Is as a game master, you know, you want to be thinking about well, what is the impact of the thing you're getting? As long as you're okay with it. And the the funny thing to me is uh, one of the Sharn campaigns I ran, my my gritty Calistan campaign, uh, in I think it was the first adventure. Basically, they're in a place and uh, someone has delivered this bag of holding, which starts spewing skeletons. It's a bag of holding filled with skeletons. Uh, and they start crawling out. And part of the point was after the players deal with it, they've got a bag of holding, except that one of them decided to use a firebolt and set it on fire. And of course, it stopped the skeletons. But I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> you know, sorry, I was trying to give you a cool thing. <laughs> 
So I want to, I want to segue to our next question then uh, for the topic mm-hmm. or for the conversation is, um, you know, where, where are these magic items coming from, right? Like what, first of all, uh, what makes them unique in Eberron versus say another setting and where are they coming from? Who's making them, right? Like we, we always associate house Kenneth, but is house Kenneth, house Kenneth, for example, the only people creating these things or just simply, uh, the, you know, the most likely. So the, the critical thing to me about this is the idea that, you know, from the start, Eberron is a place, arcane magic, the magic, or specifically the magic used by wizards, mage rites, artificers, behaves in a scientific manner. It's repeatable. One wizard can learn a spell from another wizard's spell book. It behaves like a science. And mm-hmm. the core principle on Eberron was if that existed in a scientific way, then over the course of centuries, it should start being used to solve problems the way we have solved problems with technology. And so we should start looking at basic problems of civilization, transportation, communication, entertainment, medicine, warfare, and say, how do you know, what's a solution to this problem look like when the tool you're using is arcane magic? Um, so part of the point of that is to say that magic items aren't just completely random and whimsical. It is someone has sort of, you know, I want to say it's an industry, but you know, with Kenneth it is, uh, but that these are things people have sort of mastered these principles and used them to create tools. So the idea to me is that essentially mage rights, smiths, artisans, you know, all sorts of people are making these tools. Uh, House Kenneth is making them on an industrial scale. Yeah. It is the most efficient. It is sort of taking things to the next level. And also they are a center of innovation. You know, they have a lot of the brains, the inventors, it's Bell Labs, you know, that kind of thing. Um, someone else jump in. Yeah, and I think with that, um, you know, it's it's also not unheard of for House Kenneth to find an idea from somewhere mm-hmm. or someone else and capitalize on it, right? Um, but also looking at the last war, mm-hmm. the last war itself fostered a lot of ingenuity out of necessity, as you said, and- right? Like that, that's where we we see a lot of the cooler creations, like Warforged and airships and so on. Well, and that's um, that exists now in the world. And that's a, a key point there. And the other group I would certainly call out at this point is the Arcane Congress, uh, because the Arcane Congress was sort of the magical facil- backbone of Galifar. And of course, now it's primarily in on dare, but nonetheless, you know, when you set aside the dragon marked houses, this was like the center for research, uh, within, uh, the five nations. And of course you also have the Irini and you have the Zill, you know, doing their own things. Uh, but that is a critical point. Uh, and then I'll, I'll shut up for a moment, uh, where, the idea is that like any tools, these are things that there is innovation, there is change, that magic is evolving. It's not static. And so that critical point, you know, one of the biggest things to me is people look at Eberron and say it's high magic because it's got airships. And the point I always want to call out is it's had airships for nine years, that airships are new and they are changing the face of transportation and they're impacting uh, the monopoly of the lightning rail that, you know, you want to think of magic as something that is alive and developing, not just, Oh, it's been like this for thousands of years and nothing ever changes. Right. And it's not like there's nations with fleets of airships exactly. you know, flying around everywhere. And they'd like to, but that's, that's in the future. Uh, Wayne or Scott, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Hey, go ahead, Wayne. Well, I, I was basically thinking, um, Think about it from the other. I was thinking about the other side. Is that basically not who's making it? Who's the customer? Yeah, definitely. Because you can't just yeah. make something and not have a and not have a customer. Mm-hmm. Four years ago, there was a war, and they're making magic items. They're making items. They're making things to fuel that war. In the last four years, there really hasn't been a war. Mm-hmm. Or, or last two years, I mean, there hasn't been a war. So your customer base is changing. And as much as we talk about magic items in the sense of talking about adventurers and the characters. And, and people upgrading their characters, <clears throat> we've got a whole other world that's purchasing magic items. And like Keith was saying, you're not purchasing magic items because you're going to go out, bring a sword, and go out and kill something. Mm-hmm. 
you're purchasing a matching item because that's your, <clears throat> well, for our, our analogy, <clears throat> that's your vacuum cleaner. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's your light. That's your um, cell phone, whatever it is. Now you've got a a um, a consumer industry that's doing that. Now, <clears throat> they're still producing weapons. I mean, everybody's still stockpiling, mm-hmm. even though they're not supposed to be. You, you've got those. So you we're looking at, if you look at, those things, that is actually one, one thing that makes, you know, Eberron very unique is that you have a, almost a mass production industry that can do that. And, you know, we're not about talking about, you know, year 2000 mass production, we're, we're talking about old style. You know, 19th century, but, but still, yeah. There's a mass, yeah. It's still mass well, production. You're thinking about, you're switching from a, a purely wartime thing where you're making tons and tons of money doing war stuff and now all of a sudden you can't make war forged anymore so do you turn your you know swords into plowshares sort of thing right and and if you think of it that way that's when something that's really really different about Eberron and in terms of a magic item industry but i think that's a really interesting point that uh that you bring up is just that point to think about is with any magic item why does it exist you know why did someone make this thing and who was it made for and i think that's just a good question to think about yeah scott share some yeah, um, it, you know, we touched on it, and, it, and I guess it, a, a finer point we've driven home is that when you talk about the Arcane Congress mm-hmm. and everyone else, right, they're doing research for mm-hmm. themselves. Kenneth does research to mm-hmm. make money, right? And so there's a, if people keep that in mind, you're not going to have the Arcane Congress making wands and staffs to sell to someone, right? They're going to do that research, and those are private uh, exhibitions or private items that they're going to own in order to increase their power and their prestige. Whereas Canis, yeah, they're going to stomp this stuff out. But like the war effort mm-hmm. never stops, right? We talked about that, but I mean, just speaking from a, a modern right. perspective, even post World War One and going into it, it never stops. And everything is driven by the defense industry. So if you know, if you look at all the great inventions mm-hmm. we have now, it's because of war. Right, uh, gas cans that jerry mm-hmm. cans came about because of the war. Pressurized cabins came out because and, of the and- war. And that's a critical uh, point because what we're saying is that the war is over, but again, no one won it and no one believes that we're in a grand right. era of peace <laughs> that will never end. So everyone is preparing for what can come next. Yeah. I think the other thing to think about is when you're designing, when you're designing in general, but particularly for a product, you don't just invent something for the sake of inventing it. You're looking at what problems, what mm-hmm. real problems actually exist that need solutions. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's a lot of opportunity. Like I often try to think about like in Sharn, you know, there's a lot of just like, especially in the lower levels of Sharn, just stuff dripping down that you're not sure if that's water or what. <laughs> and I'm like, why are there no like, you know, prestidigitation right. effects on like, say, pipes, you know, to clean Ooh. that water and filter it and... You so know. so this is a, a sort of critical point that comes to this is that in Eberron, when we get to common magic, uh, that you want to think about what are things that are useful to us that we use and is there an easy magical way to solve that problem? So like one of the questions that's come up is um, fire and, you know, how strong deal with fires. And the thing is you have a cantrip that extinguishes fires. So instead of having right. a hose that's squirting water, you're going to have a rod or something like that that extinguishes flame. Uh, and that especially when you run down cantrips, there's a lot of sort of cantrip effects that are very practical. And the point to me is what I always do is I look, there's a lot of very versatile cantrips. And I look at those and tend to say prestidigitation isn't one spell, it's 20 spells. You know, it's cleaning, it's Mm -hmm. soiling, it's heating, it's chilling, it's, you know, all of these things. And that for a common magic item, imagine something that just does one of those in a very focused way. And that that's something you can imagine being pretty cheap. Um, So just the idea, so to speak, of a lighter. Well, you know, prestidigitation can just create a small flame, you know, light a flame. So that's something, if that's all it did... It's not hard to imagine that being reasonably cheap um, or, again, something that just cleans up grime. Uh, the one thing I will say before we we completely move on is I also do want to call out that House Kenneth makes, you know, they're the sort of backbone on things, but it's also important to remember the 12. Uh, 
because the 12 is the organization that brings the houses together to make things none of them could make on their own. And so things like mm-hmm. the Orion, uh, not the Orion, the Kanderic Vault Network is a thing that took Orion, Kanderic, Kenneth together. The airships are built by Kenneth and the, Z- the Zill. That you do have a number of sort of big things. It's not like Kenneth holds all the cards. In a lot of cases, they're actually working with other people to do things. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. It's like our world, you know, how many there's that little thing of like how many different uh, things go into making a can of Coke or something like that is that bear in mind that a lot of like they don't they don't grow their own. uh, A lot of people are going to be involved. Yeah, they don't grow. They don't grow their own. sorghum, Right. Like they're not they don't have like forests of sorghum. They have, to, they have right. to pay for that. You know? So you're getting your sorewood from the Arrhenia, you're binding your elementals with the Zill, and then Kenneth is just working all kinds of things just to make it all come together. Yeah. So when you're running a campaign in Eberron, do you feel, do any of you feel like you need to curb the availability of like sort of utility magic items? Or do you feel like it's just sort of like, whatever, just you got a flashlight, you got a handy haversack, you've got... You know, what, what is your approach? Um, and, and how do you sort of regard these things, those, those utility type items? <laughs> well, this, this, uh, this is a difficult <laughs> question because it's, it really depends. Like, I mean, if you're talking about Savage Worlds, um, you know, when I looked at, when I looked at Savage Worlds, not specifically everyone, but you look at Savage Worlds, having an item that either does something like a replacement for a piece of gear or something like that. That's cool. No one's going to notice it. It's not anything, whatever. But if you have a plus one, you have a sword or a weapon that gives you plus one to hit mm-hmm. or plus one to damage, uh, that's a big, big deal, right? So there's a, a that scale is different, right? When you look at D and D, you can <clears throat> you can say characters can have as many common magic items as they want. You know, here's my toothbrush. Here's my, you know, some of them are like my there's a there's a cloak mm-hmm. that billows. All it does is you put the cloak on it billows, right? It's like that's basically mm-hmm. glamour weave in in a different sense, right? Like yeah. those kind of things. Um, I, I don't. I, I can think it. I think when you define things that way, that is where you kind of you're you're gonna paint your your Eberron campaign in a certain way. Because if you've replaced every single toothbrush and flashlight and hand sanitizer and whatever with a magic item, and they're just all over the place, that's a slightly different game and a slightly different idea. But and that's on dare. That could be something that you're going to do. Yeah, I, I mean that's and that's the feel that you want to you get. But you know, think about I don't know about you guys, but you know, think about you going into a hospital and every, um, you know, every room you walk into, there's right. a hand sanitizer there. Right? But it's automatic hand there's, sanitizer. There's a can of but lice on the bathroom. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you yeah. if you walk past there, you know, maybe that's a prestigization right. effect. But is that well? Where and you're and go to with me, it? that's exactly where I was saying that's on dare is because. That's on dare. That that should feel different than in uh, Brayland or Carnath or something like that. That to me, we're in on dare. We do have cleansing stones that people are just cleaning. It should be like, huh? Okay, you know, this feels that that on dare is where I would work even harder to call out that sort of casual use of magic. Uh, and, you know, certain parts of Sharn, I would do that as well. But, you know, lower Sharn, they don't have cleansing stones around to clean your hands, you know, because because, uh, again, that's still money. Um, so to yeah. me, I do try and look for that kind of thing as part of getting the flavor of Eberron across. You know, if we are in a theater, I'm going to call out that we've got you know, amulets that amplify our voices or that there's a designated person who's using minor illusion to add some special effects. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, we actually made a very conscious decision in, in creating the setting not to make it so overwhelming that it didn't feel like D&D anymore. And so it is sort of that point of you want it to feel like this is a place where magic is more you know, is a stronger tool, but not that we are literally in like a cyberpunk world or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, I think you kind of hit that, that point was that, you know, there, 
magic as a tool. And I think if you're talking specifically now about the availability mm-hmm. for players, um, there is a, I think there's a natural block to over inundating players because um, players can only attain right. so many items. So an item that, that has a certain power level, um, what they consider. So uh, major right. and minor items, most of the major items are, are attunement. They, they require just a little bit more effort. And even let's say the, right, right. the wands that you created for Absolutely. in Wayfinder's Guide, those wands, they have a mechanical effect. Most, most common most, items don't. Um, common magic items don't, mm-hmm. but they require attunement as a balance. So you're not walking in with, I've got 16 different magic right. items that are minor, but, or sorry, common, whether you're doing whatever, but these ones are specifically, now, hey, there's a there's a natural limit. Now, with that said, the the wand is one of the things I definitely want to call out because that is a sort of change. When we made Eberron in third edition, we couldn't have wands be sort of a common tool because wands were both significantly expensive. You know, 750 gold pieces is huge for like just a casual person and entirely disposable. And so the idea of a common soldier using a wand just made no sense at all. As the additions have evolved and we've introduced sort of battle-ready cantrips, uh, you know, a, ma- a, a wand is simply a 10-gold piece arcane focus that has no inherent power. It focuses power. And, and this sort of ties to another sort of form of common magic is the idea of something that enhances existing power, whether it's a dragon mark or whether it's a cantrip, you know, the abilities of a mage right or something like that. So you can also have magical tools that, again, don't have power of their own, but enhance what's there. And so this is where we've added in the idea of the wand slinger in fifth edition saying that uh, you do have more common sort of use of magic in battle, uh, but that just like the mage right isn't as good as magic as the wizard is, what we've said about wand slingers is that they can learn a couple battle cantrips, uh, maybe even a spell, but that they do need the focus item to use it. So that the fact that a player can take or leave the wand is fine, but for a normal person, even that 10 gold piece wand, it is an important, useful tool, even though it has no inherent power of its own. And that's just another way of trying to make magic feel more like a tool, like a science, like part of the world. But I've really been enjoying in my Kabara campaign, uh, which is basically very much a sort of fantasy Western feel. Uh, you know, having the people using wands and staffs and rods, you know, adds a lot of flavor to it. Even though, again, the sheriff, he's just using a bow. He doesn't need any of that fancy stuff. Um, but then you got the the wandslinger warlock. And, you know, it's very much like he's the fancy, fancy gun, uh, gunsel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very nice. Um, you know, something... Another piece of Eberron that I and it's it's an aspect of it that it, uh, that I love in that it's a trope that harkens back to the sort of pulp mm-hmm. uh, stories, and it's the idea mm-hmm. of like the artificer being sort of like the mad scientist, the weird scientist, you know, who's always like trying to create really cool new things, sometimes often even on a whim out of necessity or whatever. Um, we had that in third mm-hmm. edition with, with infusions, right? Like, you know, sort of creating something on the fly. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons why I even love Savage Worlds, for example, is because there's arcane background weird science, which is very similar in, in concept. Mm-hmm. And there's even an edge you can take called uh, a gadgeteer, mm-hmm. which is sort of like the infusion concept. But, um, yeah, in, in um, you know, I know Wizards of the Coast is still working It'll on be the soon, I hope, concept. That we'll see something. Like. But... Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, but I think that's a really cool, you know, aspect of it too, where it's like, okay, there might not be a magic item that you're necessarily creating or, or sorry, buying per se, but there is the potential for something to, that, that can just be sort of um, manifested on the fly as well. Uh, and I, I think that's neat. Well, a couple of thoughts 
A couple of thoughts to me about that is one of the things, again, comes back to mechanics versus flavor mm-hmm. is one of the points to me is, especially with artificers once we have them, but also with wizards, is thinking of the fact that you are exceptional, that um, the uh, the standard mage, right, you know, can only do one or two cantrips, you know, one thing. They can't just change them out. They've spent years learning them. Uh, the fact that as a wizard, you can say, oh, hey, I learned a new spell. You know, you can swap things around and such. You know, you should think of yourself as as I am, you know, a prodigy. You know, I have a, a brilliant understanding of this science that even a wizard is in some ways sort of a mad scientist, you know, even though they don't, they aren't as limited uh, as artificers are to working with tools, they're still, they have a, a deep understanding of the science of magic in a way that many don't. Um, and I had a, a total follow-up thought to that, which I've completely forgotten. Mm-hmm. Well, if it comes back to you, you know, Wayne, you had a, you had a thought on this? Well, no, it was interesting that actually something that Keith mentioned in the beginning, and I never actually never thought about that, um, specifically about wizards. Mm-hmm. One mm-hmm. wizard can copy from another wizard's spell book. And that means this is something right. that is codified. And I think if anybody who does not like the thought of Ebron, and, and don't get me wrong, I know there's people out there that are like, oh, I don't like the thought of you know magic as technology, blah, blah, blah. but it's like, it's built into D&D. You, one, if you take someone mm-hmm. else's... Yeah, you know, this is fifth edition DD. I mean, if you yep. take someone else's spell book, you can copy their spells into your spell book. You use your own notations, but it's not like you need to like, you know, jump through hoops and walk through fire and and right. do a rain dance in order to do this. Like the magic's the same. <clears throat> yeah. Um same with scrolls. You can find a scroll, you can write it in your spell book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not and not just that. I mean, scrolls are universal that if you have it on your spell list, it doesn't matter what kind of caster mm-hmm. you are, you can still cast that scroll. So Right. In terms of theory and, and lore of mm-hmm. D&D, that's codified, right? Um, the other thing that, you know, in terms of availability of magic items and, and specifically the Artificer. Now, I know that at the moment that we're recording mm-hmm. this, the new Artificer hasn't come out. We know that Mike Merles is really working on it. And Jeremy Crawford is working on it. So, but the idea, let's go back to third edition. Um, <laughs> I, I kind of skip over fourth edition, right? So um, going back to third edition and that idea of, <laughs> of infusions and 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 instantaneous magic items even though they're not permanent it really brings back to the thought of one of the things about the utility and the availability of utility magic items is that a lot of these items were not right permanent items mm-hmm. or they were meant to be used up right um and we're not talking about the wands specifically because obviously wands have right. gone the quote-unquote eternal wand uh, route but stuff like a potion a scroll these feather are one tokens. use higher power items, right? This is where, yeah, the feather token, those kind of things, they're consumables. And I, one of the things that I've always thought about is that when you're talking about a third level effect, those are not built into our everyday utility magic items, except for that kind of rare scroll of fireball, the one that costs a little bit more money. Your, your, your guy in the back is kind of like, I'm saving this, I'm saving this, I'm saving this because we don't have a mage that can cast fireball. Okay, I got to use it now. You know, those are still rare. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, even Revivify, you know, someone's sitting there going, okay, we got one of these. The commander goes down. We can, you know, we can bring them back up sort of thing. But there, but the potion of healing, um, th- mm-hmm. those things are the, those consumables are, are more common. Those are more used. So to see a plus one sword, even though that's a quote unquote uncommon item, you're more likely to see something that's mm-hmm. a consumable or something that's a common item. Scott, did you uh, have some thoughts on that, or? Uh, yeah, it's just you know, yeah. Um, I use the hell out of magic items. If I do Eberron, it's it's not a, mm-hmm. a munchiny thing or a power gamey thing, and I, I just I kind of control the flow of them. But I also part and parcel them out to where, um, like with the consumable items, right? I, I don't just say, okay, well, you do a like a potion of accuracy. Okay, cool. Let's scratch the potion part. Sure. And why not give you a gem of accuracy or uh, a pick of accuracy or a feather of right. accuracy? And you know, so like if I play, uh, if I have a ranger, for instance, I'll give the ranger a crossbow, right? And then that ranger may have a four grip of accuracy, right? Mm-hmm. That, 
and then he'll have an eye of the eagle optic on it, right? It's it's, it's like we said, replace everyday items. You think about what you would use in, a, in, a, in, a, in our environment. And I mean, Eberron can replicate that in an amazing way. And just, I, again, I, just, I can't yeah. emphasize enough, get out of the D&D mindset. <laughs> you have to get out of the D&D and, mindset, and you don't, even if you play D&D. Yeah, you don't want to go crazy with like, okay, everybody has like right. walkie-talkies and telephones and, right. you know. And, and, but why not, right? I mean, who, who cares? Oh, I, if you have a strike ops team in that yeah, campaign. Yeah, if that's what you want in your, in your Eberron, go yeah. for it, yeah. I, yeah. I can't remember if it was Valinor or whatever, but I certainly had had a strike force in one of my things where they basically all everyone had what amounted to a message stone. Right. Sure, right. And message so stones, again, night vision. Yeah. 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 So it's not as cool as a walkie talkie. You know, it's a more limited distance, but it was sure. a yeah. way for them to communicate with one another yeah. short range. Yeah. So yeah. And we do have sending um, stones in in I think that they actually Originated in uh, a th- in an Eberron adventure, um, was it Isaac Lodge Queen? Yeah, and uh, it's possible. I mean, yep. and sending yeah, and sending um, stones are are standardized items now in Fifth Edition D. In Fifth yeah, Edition, right? Are. I right. will say I do Not find to be that Fifth Edition with speaking stones. No, very different. Uh, yeah, I think it was it was Isaac Lodge Queen um, in that adventure that they were introduced in Third Edition. But um, I do I will say real quickly that. I feel like there's a lot in fifth edition that might possibly have been inspired by Eberron, but that's just my opinion. So <laughs> it um, is interesting with wands that wands are basically eternal wands now, you yeah, know, yeah. As, as you said, <laughs> right. uh, but I mean, I think Scott has, you know, a really interesting point there of taking uh, scrolls and potions uh, and basically saying you can use any sort of effect, you know, or even the effects that exist as scrolls and potions. If you apply the same limitations, okay, if it's a scroll that can only be used by a certain uh, number of people, if it's a potion, anyone mm-hmm. can use it. You know, essentially a feather token is a potion. And uh, that same sort of idea of saying you can have consumables that just in terms of having more flavor, you know, uh, it doesn't have to be a potion. It's right. still something that takes you a bonus action uh, to to use, you know, and then it's gone. Uh, but feel free. It's back to, again, story versus mechanics. Mechanically, this thing is a potion. But from flavor, you can always add a little more interesting flavor to it. Yeah, and I, I think it really just boils down to trappings, right? Like what trapping do you want to give it? Right. You know, in, in 3.5, and, and I'll kind of segue into the next thing we want to talk about, um, you know, in, with infusions alone – you can infuse just about any object with a particular mm-hmm. power, uh, sure. including Warforged, right? Like you can mm-hmm. actually just go up to a Warforged and say, boom, you have armor now. Or yeah. you have, you know, whatever, because they're, they're a const- a living construct, but a construct nonetheless, and you can imbue mm-hmm. them, you know. Um, and, and I think that that's a good segue into the fact that when you look at Eberron, you actually do have like these magical beings, Warforged, that were created through magic and they're living mm-hmm. and walking weapons that are, are you know, th- I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty incredible in and of itself. And the fact that they can even like, you know, uh, sort of embed like intelligent items on themselves um, or attach new or embed items, other items on themselves as well. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a remarkable thing you know being a vehicle for that kind of stuff well it was very interesting when we first started working on them uh the in third edition they went through about seven different uh, variations before they ended up with the one uh that that ended up being at the ACS. and one of the early versions of them was all about them essentially absorbing or assimilating magic items mm-hmm. um and which sort of went into the fourth edition approach of of them attaching uh, armor that they found. Um, so, I mean, that's another point to make on the, the fifth edition version is, again, earlier editions of the Warforged went through lots of different versions. So we want to see what people think about them. Yeah. Scott? Yeah, we're looking at... Uh... With the Warforged, right? And, and I know, you know, no conversation about Warforged ever mm-hmm. goes without talking about docents. Right, right, right. right. Um, and if you look at the docent, right, it's, 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 you know, if you take the docent and you take your, 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 your Warforged, you take Eberron and you look at uh, Shadowrun, it's essentially a skill wire device, mm-hmm. right? So a docent, for, I mean, it, for anyone who doesn't actually know, a docent is an intelligent magic item. It's about, uh, it's a sphere. 
and basically it fits in the chest of a warforged. Uh, right. And the idea is essentially it is sort of this onboard AI. And, you know, so yeah. they know certain skills. Uh, they may have certain special abilities. And so it sort of often is like an advisor. You know, it, it's yeah, like, like yep. you know, it's like, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go, go you uh, back to you. Oh, yeah, no. And exactly that. Right. If you got your warforged, I don't know, fighter. Right. And he finds this docent. This docent is key to essentially, you know, a martial arts master. Plug that in, and now that docent is advising and guiding, and basically rewiring that warforge in order to function as, you know, uh, and the D and D is very limiting in mm-hmm. how it describes mm-hmm. things. But you have that skill set mm-hmm. at a very high level. I know uh, kung fu. High competency. <laughs> basically, yeah. right? Yeah, right. it's that moment where it's like, hey, can you fly this? You know, can can you pilot this this boat? Not yet. You know, and then that's it. They're incredibly rare, but yeah, I mean, they, they, they can dramatically change the feel of what goes on. See, this is actually one thing, um, in terms of, uh, in terms of, of D and D and giving out magic items and, and just in general, there's this one disparity. And, and as much as I love Warforged, there's this one disparity is that the magic items that are built specifically for Warforged cannot be used by anybody else. <laughs> and this causes a this causes an issue, especially with the attachments and the bended items. Is that now the DM, or the dungeon master, the game master is kind of cherry picking something, which is not mm-hmm. a, it was not a problem. But if you're going to basically go, I'm going to do stuff randomly. There might be an item here that nobody can use, and I know that kind of goes into dragon right. chart items as well. We're gonna we'll talk about that in a sec. Now, the other thing is the warforged components, in some senses, are way cooler. <laughs> than some of the other match items. I'm sorry, but you you need an extra, like, what was the, uh, the wand sheath is pretty cool, but the one that you attach the cross, what's it called? The, the crossbow that attaches the over your bow. shoulder? I mean, yeah, the oh, arm no, bow. That's like, yeah. yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. that is, uh, you're giving someone a third arm, you're giving them the predator, you know, over no. the shoulder yeah. cannon. <laughs> I mean, why don't you want to play Warforged? Your items are so much better. I'm going to I'm going to put on this fist that like increases my the size of my fist like six times and smash like I mean I'm, well, you know, everybody's like, I just have regular gauntlets, you know, kind of. You got to find it first. I think this does come back to, though, in some ways, the manner in which you acquire magic items in Eberron can be different than it often is. Because, as we said, especially to the lower levels, magic items are tools. They are things that are created. You know, they aren't simply uh, sort of, I go into a ruin to find this thing. And so one of the points on that is, you know, the DM can be more conscious about, you know, how are you going to get that armbow? Is it that you're going to find it somewhere? Is it that you're going to fight a Warforged villain who has it? Or is it that, well, you're doing a favor for House Caneth. At the end of the adventure, they're going to offer to pimp your Warforged. You know, um, and so this comes to what we were talking about is, you know, another critical type of magic item in the setting is the dragon shard focus item. Uh, And that uh, these are, you know, a, a sort of basic principle is the idea that it's easier to make an item that amplifies an existing power than one that does that from scratch. And so magic items that, you know, if you wanted to make a cape of the mountain bank, which is a teleportation cape. Well, making one that just works for people with the mark of passage is just cheaper and easier. Um, And, but again, the whole point is those things are only useful to people who have the right mark. And so that doesn't work for a random handout, unless you want to do something where we give the player a cool magic item that none of them can use. And then it's like, what do we do with this thing? Where can we get the best price for? But in general, magic items can be sort of literal rewards, you know, things that will do this job and will give you the thing rather than do this job and along the way, kill the guy and take his thing or something like that. And in fact, you know, it is the idea that rare and legendary items are rare and legendary. If you come by, we go into the dungeon and get the thing. Uh, and have the legendary sword, bear in mind that somebody made that sometime, you know, so one of the big things I like to call out is a lot of times you're basically ripping off the Dakani 
or, you know, something like that. And <laughs> if you're running around with Excalibur, well, you know, Dakani King Arthur is probably going to be pretty pissed about that. You know, I'm glad you touched on the Dragon Shard items thing because mm-hmm. recently, uh, in response to the recent Unearthed Arcana for Dragon Marks, somebody mm-hmm. commented about like, oh, you know, maybe there should be a unique set of spells right. yep. for just Dragon Marks because that makes them compelling and special and so on. And I understand where the person was coming from and I get that because I used to make the same mistake about Dragon Marks when I first read Eberron only because when you first read about dragon marks, what you see, what's presented directly right. in front of you is the the spell lists, right? right? The spell like abilities. And but what's really important mm-hmm. about dragon marks is what they unlock. And, what, and we talk about this yeah. in, in our dragon marks episode. Absolutely. <laughs> and this is that critical point that people have looked at things and said, okay, but the mark of healing doesn't give you restoration. So you talk about people going and getting lesser restoration from House Jurasco. How can they do it? And the point is, well, they don't just do it with the mark. Lots of people have the mark. It's that there is a tool, uh, you know, an altar or whatever it is, that is the altar of restoration that can only be used by someone with the mark. And uh, that that is what gives the house its power. It's back to the sending stone. Uh, not the sending stone, the speaking stone. See, I get these mixed up. Uh, it's back to the speaking stone. And the idea <laughs> of the speaking stone, it's not as handy or portable as a sending stone, but it's this vital tool that only people with uh, dragon marks can use. So that comes back to the basic point as a game master of think of the tool you want to be in the world. And then you want to think about, well, can anyone use this or is it tied to a particular dragon mark? Right, like airships, for example. The reason why there's not fleets of them is because only House Lorander or marked heirs in House Lorander can can fly these things. And that was right. Or right, yeah. And that was an intentional choice that we said we want them to be limited. You know, we want it to be that this right. is a source of power right now for House Lorander, that they are the only people who can fly airships. Now you can always choose to say, and we've just had a breakthrough and we've come up with airships that other people can use, but that's the question of, from a story perspective, think about the impact that has on the world. Whereas right now it is the point of saying air travel is limited and it's in the hands of a small group of people. But you know, you also have to keep in mind that, okay, yeah, you've made it available to anybody, but I bet you it's going to cost a lot more money. Uh, and that yeah. is exactly, so, again, that principle of something that amplifies Dragon Mark should be cheaper than something that doesn't. So even if you do right. decide to add an airship or a sending stone, you know, again, it should be more expensive. So I, I just had a random thought and that uh, in an old Savage Worlds product, uh, I think it was Fantasy Gear Toolkit or something like that. Mm-hmm. They had costs for how you can make magic items. And they actually had a thing where you can half the price if you put a limitation on it. And, and this just clicked for me. And, and that's marks, basically right? what we said with Dragon Mark focus items in the Wayfinder's Guide. So, yeah. uh, brilliant. I, so I, I got to, one more thing. Okay, go ahead. Go, oh, go ahead. No, no. I was going to, well, I, I wanted to jump to Eldritch Machines mm-hmm. because <laughs> I thought that was the coolest thing I ever read when I, when I first read the ECS. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was like, absolutely. This is like, like, it was just like mind blowing. I'm like, oh my God, we could just make shit up. They're plastic. <laughs> like, it could be whatever you need it to be. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that. Um, how did that come about, actually? How did how did you – was that just a trope thing or you know, what was your I mean, it was largely that? a trope thing. Of It was just that whole idea of saying we want someone – you know, when you go into pulp in particular, you know, a very common pulp trope is the mad scientist making the crazy machine. You know, Ming is making his death ray or whatever it is. And mm-hmm. it's the combination <laughs> of wanting to say that story should not be limited by but how what's the spell that is powering this you know what is the thing you should just be able to say i am making a device that causes everyone who dies within 10 miles to come back as a zombie and that's the story i want to have um and the second aspect of it was in particular because eberron follows those scientific principles of being able to explain uh why when you destroy that Someone doesn't just make another one. And so it's saying that Eldritch machines are these unique, they they need special components, they need to be built during convergences or on manifest zones, 
or things like that. Um, and so it was sort of saying that this is a thing where you can do anything. And, and one of the ways we'd like to say is it's essentially a wish spell. <laughs> you know, if you can make a wish spell, you can make this nice. thing. Because uh, in 30, awesome. I think they were they were treated to 17th level. And, and so it's just saying, but do what you want to do for the story and don't feel limited. I, I'm I'm going to say I'm, I'm I'm echoing Christian here. I mean, the 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 concept of the Eldritch Machine. I, I remember I I remember it's like a page, uh, almost a full page, and and there's this like telescope something at the bottom of the page uh, from the original ECS. And you read that, and as a DM, you're just like, well, that gives me the reason to do anything I want, and it really is. I I think I have used this concept, um, this concept in countless adventures and countless um, things and not just Eberron. Let me mm-hmm. just, let me just say, and it's a concept that everybody accepts. It's that this is something that um, this is something that should be happening in every single game, because if you want your big bad, not to be an, you know, uh, uh, an archmage, a 19th level wizard uh, with wish, then they need something that they can do to put this together. And the concept of the Eldritch machine. And, and for those who, who don't, who don't know what it is it's literally i cast wish with this but a specific wish specific item to do whatever you want um as a villain you know as dr evil who needs the the death ray or whatever this is how you accomplish that and it is such an elegant tool to accomplish that uh i just have to jump to uh i remembered the thing i forgot long ago uh which was one of the things that struck me recently about aranol is part of the idea of Aranol is that Aranol is supposed to be more magically advanced than the five nations, not thousands and thousands of years, you know, advanced and this is our whole thing with elves, but that it should feel like they are significantly more advanced than us. They've been around and focusing on things. One of the things I actually like in fifth edition is high elves, which as default are pretty good for uh, Arini. Um, everybody has a cantrip. You get a, a wizard cantrip for free. And what I like is when you think about that, that's sort of just essentially saying everybody's a mage, right? And that, you know, you can stop and think again of, well, if I had a cantrip, sure, as an adventurer, I might pick something like Firebolt or something like that. But it's back to all those cantrips that have useful uh sort of side effects again like i said their their fire uh fire folks you know are going to be uh just you just got extinguished flame uh you know any sort of actor is going to have i forget which i think it's thaumurtagi uh you know that lets you amplify your voice and extinguish or create flames or things like that um and so it's one of the things I was just thinking about is at some point in writing about Aranol, you know, want to get to that point that that is a place in someone was asking how common are mage rights? Do you have people who are just still using mundane skill? And in the five nations, I think in a lot of places you do, but that's the point that in Aranol, you will essentially have that hand sanitizer, you know, around because <laughs> cantrip level magic in particular is just going to be that much more common. Everybody knows a cantrip. You know, well, hell, it's it's 2018, and there's still not widespread broadband <laughs> exactly. about America, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so true. Yeah. Well, see, that's what I'm saying. In Aranol, they've had 25,000 years to get their broadband together. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so let's go ahead and jump into um, talking about from our players' perspective. Let's, let's quickly go through some of that because mm-hmm. uh, you know we're getting close yep. to the end here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how should players approach, you know, purchasing or commissioning magic items or, you know, in the setting? Should they just be like, I'm going to go to the store and just buy whatever? Or, you know, is that is that reasonable? Well, one of know? the things I'll call out real quickly is that in the Wayfinder's Guide, page 41 has a breakdown of essentially how common magic is. And it sort of looks at each category of magic and, and sort of says – is this available? If it is, roughly uh, how uh, how much should a thing cost? Um, and it depends where you are. You know, in the Sharn section, 
in uh, the Wayfinder's Guide, we do specifically call out, here's a couple places where you could get mm-hmm. uh, magic items. You know, it's going to be a lot more common. Whereas, yeah, if you're in a random village in uh, farm village in Brayland, no, they probably don't have magic items for sale. Uh, right. And I think almost every edition of D&D has something mm-hmm. like that where what's the most expensive magic item you know, you're going to be able mm-hmm. to get, um, which makes sense for, for any given setting. <laughs> But essentially, you know, looking to page I mean, 41, you have the common magic items are going to be available in a lot of places. Uncommon magic items will be, but they'll be more uncommon. And when you get into rare and above, those things are rare and, you know, not necessarily available for sale. Yeah, I mean, one of the things is that even the even when you, you started with D&D and even before Eberron came out, I mean, they still kind of had some pricing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, magic yeah. items they did not it's an optional rule and they they didn't really recommend it and it wasn't something that you were going to purchase because magic items were supposed to be special and not to say that they're not special in Eberron, but they are much more common so the ability to purchase magic item um, if you look at xanathar's guide it kind of gives you some standardized um pricing for magic items it gives you standardized uh how to find magic mm-hmm. items that that kind of thing um, how to even craft a magic item are are in there as activities that, that players can act, can uh, engage with. But when you look at it, I mean, it, one of the things that that I, I put in the notes was the 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 concept of standardized mm-hmm. pricing because House Caneth, as long as you're within House Caneth purchasing territory, you know, you're within our our um, service zone, you know, the likelihood is them and their subsidiary guilds and whatnot are going to have a standard pricing for certain right. magic items that are commonly available, right? If you're going to go buy the hand sanitizer for your hospital or your house, <laughs> there's going to be a price for that, you know, and it's going to be the same price in on Dare as it is in, in Thronehold as, and Sharn. It's going to be pretty much the same price. No, and, and I completely agree with that. And again, this comes back to why magic versus high magic is that idea that common magic, you know, basically... Cantrips and first level, everybody, you know, those things, again, the the broom that's enchanted to with prestidigitation to be, you know, magically sweep away all dirt, that's not wondrous to people. That's just like, that's a basic thing. It's like a really nice vacuum cleaner. I'm impressed that you have that one. That's pretty expensive, but it's not uh, sort of amazing. It's your Roomba. Uh, uncommon magic is like, yeah. oh, wow, you know, you've got a wand of fireballs, you know, or whatever it is. It's like, oh, that's impressive. But again, I know those things exist. Yeah. I know that I could buy a bazooka if somehow I could find someone who would sell it to me. Uh, when you get into rare magic and especially very rare or legendary, that is where you're saying these are things that even in Eberron, a legendary magic item people are amazed by that it is using of you know we understand magic and that means we understand when a thing is beyond what is commonly capable of we use science but the idea of a transporter or uh you know death ray is still impressive to us and bear in mind that that's how it works in eberron as well is just because some magic is common and accessible doesn't mean all magic loses its wonder. Yeah, and I, I think there's still room to, you know, we talked about this earlier about you know powerful magic items that players can get their hands on. You know, it's not that that's not to say that they're non-existent, just that they are rare. And when you get it, it's it's a big deal. It's special. It's you know, it should be a named thing even. Um, but I think there's also a difference between powerful and expensive mm-hmm. right you can have expensive magic items that aren't very powerful per se sure you have the house fiarlin uh holographic illusion projector mm-hmm. right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that you have in your rich tower somewhere <laughs> yep um and i mean another thing uh, i call out here is we do again talk in uh the wayfinder's guide about creating magic items and it's a variation of the um the Xanathar system. Uh, And one of the things that we sort of call out there is that that's not the system that, that house Kenneth is using when they're making stuff that it is the, it's like building a computer in your garage Uh, that it's part of that idea that as a wizard, 
you know, or an artificer, uh, better yet, you know, you are capable of putting together your own sort of version of this, but you're sort of doing it your own way and sort of, you know, uh, innovating as opposed to just using the Kenneth factory. Right. Like Steve Wozniak putting it into a wooden box versus manufacturing a steel (laughs) chassis. Right. And, and that's exactly where on the one hand, I would allow a player to potentially create an item that I would say that's not, you know, that's an uncommon item I've decided isn't in the world because I just don't like the impact of it. But I let you create it because you're a wizard. You're, you know, you're coming up with new stuff. Um, But also that's where we suggest the whole idea of rare components. And again, this is something that comes up in Xanathar's but comes up here of saying, oh, you can make that thing, but you're going to have to find a basilisk's eye. Because, you know, Kenneth would use something else for that, but you don't have access to their yellow cake uranium or whatever it is. But if you could get a battle of Basilisk's eye, you could do that. Right. Um, or even and, – And so that's – Oh, I was going to say, or even like, you know, a dragon shard, an Eberron dragon shard worth X amount, right? You have to go – Right. Well, certainly, and again, magic items have a sort of set cost in components. And those can be assumed to be, oh, you're going to need to get some sore wood and you're going to need to get some Eberron dragon shards. But, you know, you can get that stuff. Uh, but I'll say again in my Kabara campaign, uh, one of the things people have have found are these dawn and dusk dragon shards, which are uh, dragon shards imbued with unusual amounts of positive or negative energy. And the twofold part of that is one of the things I've said is, you know, they've got an artificer there. And I basically said, if you get these things basically in downtime between adventures, I'll let you create it then. And here's a list of items you could create. You, know, you could create a weapon of life stealing. You could create, you know, the dusk shard is only going to be about negative energy stuff. But part of the point there is instead of having them find treasure, instead of saying you find a sword of life stealing, what I've done is given them a, a du- you know, dusk shards and said, well, you can build one of these three things between the adventure. And so the impact is the same. The players end up with a magic item. Mm -hmm. But it's that idea of, oh, they don't just find a thing lying around. It's they're actually finding this thing and using their mystical brilliance to actually make something with it. And this also has the impact of giving the players an active reason to want to get in on this shard rush greed this dragon mm-hmm. shard fever that's supposed to be part of a thing. Because if you can get those dawn shards, even if you're ripping them off of this ancient tomb where they're probably being used to seal great evil, right. but think what you can build with them. Right, exactly. The possibilities are endless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Great. All right, well, um, I think we've covered everything that we wanted to cover. Does anybody have any last thoughts on any of this at all? Um, it's magic. Stop. Yeah, out. it's magic. Stop, <laughs> right. stop digging around and, and stop digging, digging around in, in, in Keith's uh, tombs and because <laughs> something else is going to be really yeah. Cool. Right. I, Make I, some stuff. Yeah, I do want to bring up the fact that um, while we've all been talking, um, Scott did send us a picture, and we've all been kind of laughing behind <laughs> our mics about it. I don't know if Christian's going to include this in the show notes, but it is pretty hilarious. So yeah, I'll put it in the uh, chapter. Hit my warforged. I'm just yep, saying. Yeah, it's yep. it's one version of someone's warforged. <laughs> like I said, I, I don't think those are docents. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. I don't think so. Fair enough. <laughs> all right. Um, cool. Well. The, Thank you all for listening and be sure to visit our website at manifest.zone where you can find subscription links to our show, post comments on an episode, find links to our Google plus Twitter and Facebook pages and whatever option you prefer. Let us know what you think of the show and uh, join us next time when we talk about travel across Eberron, which I think sort of uh, rides on the tailwinds of this episode pretty well. So Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. Until next time, keep exploring.